Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, we're in chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 16 tonight. Ecclesiastes 3, 16. We live in a world that is broken, that is topsy-turvy, that is upside down. As the, the preacher tries to contemplate this, he says, in the place of justice, there is wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, there is wickedness. We can see this in different areas of our lives where there ought to be goodness and justice and righteousness. Instead, we find wickedness. We can illustrate this both in secular life and also within the church. Um, In secular life, we may think of the court system. Uh, He says, in the place of justice, there is wickedness. And in our court system, you may think of uh, the case of Baronel Stutzman. Baronel Stutzman, if you've heard that name before, she is a florist in Washington State. And um, she has uh, been, she was asked to uh, create flower arrangements for a gay wedding. And she did not believe that she could participate. She felt like that would be introducing her into participating in the celebration of something she did not believe in. And Washington State um, had taken her to court. She had been found by the highest court in Washington State. Uh, They found against her. It went to the Supreme Court. And instead of taking her case, the Supreme Court took Jack Phillips' case. He was the cake baker. And Jack Phillips won his case. He, they, uh, the state of Colorado was told they were persecuting, they were, they were uh, badgering um, this man who just wants to run his business. They were being hostile to him. And so um, the Supreme Court sent Baronel Stutzman's case back to Washington State and said, reconsider this in light of what we've said for Jack Phillips. And just last week, on the 6th of June, her case went before the um, Supreme Court of Washington State again, and they found against her again. She, all she wanted to do was be able to have her business and not be forced to participate in the celebration of something that she did not believe in. In the place of justice, there was wickedness. And lest we point our fingers to the outside. We we could easily just look at the outside and say, Oh, the world is so bad outside. It's so bad. Everything is just... We have to also point the fingers at ourselves. Um, 
this past week was the Southern Baptist Convention. They met in Birmingham. And this week they reckoned with some things that have been in the news a lot for this year and also uh, they ha- that has been an ongoing reality in the Southern Baptist Convention and throughout all many, many churches, not just Southern Baptists, for years and years and years. And yet we have had a bad history of covering up. Um, in February, um, the Houston Chronicle ran a three-part series of sexual abuse in churches in the Southern Baptist Convention where children had been abused, had been groomed, um, and instead of uh, reporting it to the authorities like it should be, churches have dismissed a person quietly so as not to create a scandal and then allowed that person to go off and find another church where they repeat the same pattern of abuse and then when that comes up and it's caught, they move to another church and continue to repeat the same pattern over and over again. And even those who were not abusers themselves have overlooked it, have minimized it, and in the place where there should be righteousness, there was wickedness. And Southern Baptists this week addressed that with a report uh, I can give you more information on that if, uh, if you're interested. But one of the things that was a big step is our convention changed its bylaws. So now if a church... Uh, one of the problems was we, we, we're autonomous churches. The convention has no authority to do anything, to, to, to force a church to do anything. And uh, they changed the bylaws this year so that if a church has mishandled an abuse case they can then disfellowship the church. They, they can't tell the church what to do, but they can say, we will not recognize them as a Southern Baptist church any longer. That's, that's the kind of um, steps that our convention has tried to take. The point in all of that is, as the preacher reckons with life, he says, in the place where there should be righteousness and justice, there is wickedness. Let's look at what he says from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and every work under the sun. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies another. They all have the same breath And man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that man should rejoice in his work, 
for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again, I saw all the oppressions that are undone under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one, no one to comfort them. And I thought, the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both as he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hand, hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two handsful of toil and striving after wind. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand and obey. Lord, we thank You that in Your Word we understand that You care about the things that trouble us. Lord, that You care about the poor and the afflicted. You you care about injustice. And Father, we pray that You would help us to set our hope in You and in Your justice. Father, we love You and I ask for Your help And your grace as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. What? Uh, Moreover, I saw under the sun in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. This is a broken world. It's a broken world and it has been ever since Genesis chapter 3. We've, we've, you know, Genesis chapter 3 may be one of the things that I go back to over and over and over again. I never get tired of going back to Genesis 3 because it explains our situation. Adam and Eve were created by God to enjoy perfect fellowship with one another, perfect fellowship with God. They lived in a garden where all of their needs were taken care of. They met, they lived in a perfect paradise. And God gave them one command, do not eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent came and tempted Eve. That he tempted Eve and he said, God doesn't want you to have that because he knows that in the day that you eat it, you will become like God. You will be like God when you eat this knowing good from evil. And the sin that Eve and Adam both committed there was they did not trust God's Word. They did not believe what He said and they took and part- they partook of the forbidden fruit and cast us all into an estate of sin and misery as the confession, as the, uh, our um, catechism says. 
We have all been born into a sinful and broken world where there is death, where there is pain, where there is injustice. And so the preacher looks out on this world that should have been a perfect paradise, but is not because of our sin. And he says, there is wickedness in the place where there should be justice. There is wickedness in the place where there should be righteousness. And he throws his hands up. What? How can it be? God is good, and yet there is things in this world that are not the way they should be. And he follows it up with how he comforts himself. He says, I said in my heart, reflecting on the reality of this broken world that we live in, the injustice that is in the world, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time and a matter for every work. Last week, we looked at how the, God, the preacher says there is a time for everything under the sun. There's a time for to be born and a time to die and a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted and all of those lists of things that there is a time for. And here, the preacher reminds himself there is a time when God will come and judge the righteous and the wicked. When you look out at the world and you see the injustice, you see things that are wrong happen, you see maybe someone who is wrongly arrested, and you think, this world should not be this way. This is injustice. Comfort yourself by this fact. God will judge the righteous and the wicked. We want justice. We often like to talk about grace. And that's good. And I love to talk about grace. But we want justice too. We want grace when we're talking about our own sin most of the time, right? When I have sinned, I want grace. But we want justice. We want Hitler to have justice. We want those who hurt and abuse children to receive justice. We cry out for justice. And we remember, in God's timing, He has set a time when He will judge the righteous and the wicked. Then, he says, I said in my heart, again, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them to see that they themselves are but beasts. Why has God allowed this injustice to take place? The preacher is telling us. Why is there injustice? Why do we cry out because this, this world is so broken, there's so much injustice? He's communicating to us. He's crying out to us, letting us know that we are but beasts. Now, there is a problem here. 
What does he mean here that we are but beasts? Let's remember back to what the serpent promised Eve in the garden. In the day that you eat it, you will become like God. When we see the injustice in the world, God has appointed that. God has allowed that in our world so that we will see that we are not God. That we are not all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise. That we are but beasts. He says, for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. There is no advantage to the beasts, for all is vanity. Remember, the preacher is looking at things under the sun. Under the sun would be apart from God. He's he's looking at things from a secular perspective. And when you look at the world from a secular perspective, when you look at the world and see animals die, human beings die, we all breathe the same air, we live for a certain period and then we die, and you come to the conclusion, how much better off are we than the animals? under the sun, apart from God. And he also says, all go to one place, all are from dust, and to dust all return. In the garden, we see in the creation of Adam and Eve, God made Adam out of the ground. He formed him out of the dirt and blew the breath of life into him and he became a living soul. And out of that same dirt we shall return. One of these days, I hope not soon, I'm going to die. And when I die, someone's going to put me in a box I'm going to get put in the ground and I'm going to turn into dirt. And it will happen to you if Jesus tarries. It's not a very pleasant thing to think about. It came from dust. To dust will return. And the preacher, in contemplating it, he asks a question. He asked this as a question. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? He's not saying that it doesn't happen. He's asking the questions. Who knows? From under the sun, as you look at the world, we can't really tell. Apart from revelation from God, apart from what He has told us in His Word, we can't really tell from just looking in the observation of our eyes. We can't tell. Who knows if the spirit of the man goes up and the spirit of beasts go down into the earth. The preacher lived in a different era of biblical history. 
He lived before the cross. He lived in a time where not as much was known about the resurrection. But even here, we see there's a tension. On the one hand, he's asking this question, who knows what will happen to man after death? Well, we just turned to dirt. On the other hand, he says there's a time when God will bring judgment to the wicked and the righteous. Those are in tension with one another. There has to be a judgment. If he believed in the judgment, that has to be resolved. And we see from a New Testament perspective, and we see even in the Old Testament, in places like Daniel, it talks about a day when there will be a resurrection of all people from the righteous and the wicked. We will all stand before the judgment of God. But Solomon, the preacher, did not see it from his perspective. And he asks, who knows? So, verse 22, I saw that there is nothing better than that man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? In in, in the light of all this injustice that the preacher sees, he comes to the same conclusion we've seen in the last couple of chapters. What should man do in his life? Enjoy your work. Enjoy your work. Then in chapter 4, he says, again, he comes back to the same theme, again I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the, ones, uh, on the side of the oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. He sees the oppressed in the, on the earth. He, and just think, when, when, when we think of the oppressed, you might think of the case of these abused children who cry at night, and as the preacher says, with no one to comfort them. And it makes you sympathetic. It makes you want to just find them and hug them and comfort them. The preacher says, I saw the oppressed under the sun and their tears, and there was no one to comfort them. This ought not be. This world is broken. As he said in another, cha- in another ver- cha- uh, passage we looked at, what is broken cannot, what is crooked cannot be straightened. It's so bad, it's so hard to deal with all the injustice and all the oppression, the oppression, he says, and I thought that the dead who are already dead are more fortunate than those who are living and are still alive. At least the dead don't have to deal with it anymore. They are somewhat at peace. They don't have to deal with, they've got relief from the curse. 
But then he reminds us that death is still the enemy. Death is not something to be desired. He says even better than those who were dead are the one who has not yet been born. Still in that state of, of a kind of an innocence where you've never had to see all the, impression, all the um, it, um, injustice in the earth. Remember he said at the end of chapter 3, in, in the face of all this injustice, in the face of all this oppression, then what we should do is enjoy our work. And he's thinking about work. He's thinking about enjoying our work. And then it dawns on him. Verse 4. Then I saw that all the toil and the skill in work come from man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity in striving after wind. His work ethic, everything that drives a person to get up in the morning to go to work, it all comes from envy. Even the very good thing that God has given us, our gift to enjoy our labor, what is it motivated by? Envy. We want to get more, and we want to get more, and we want to get more. And there's three responses He gives us that a person can have to the fact that all of this work and labor is all motivated by envy. First off, He says, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. So the foolish option of the fact is to just fold your hands and give up on work. Drop out of the labor force. It doesn't matter anyway. There's no meaning in life. And he ends up, the words of the preacher, devouring his own flesh. And then he gives a comparison. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after wind. So the second option is trying to get two hands full. Trying to get more and more and more for yourself. Accumulating all that you can. And all of that is just vanity and striving after wind because all of your striving to get more and more in your hands full, it's empty. And it slips right through your fingers. But he says better than that, at the beginning of the verse, better than that is a handful of quietness. He says not to go after the two handfuls and trying to get as much as you can, but just a handful of quietness. We work, we enjoy our labor, and we're content. Content. A handful of quietness. We don't join the rat race and try to keep up with the Joneses, but we work we take care of our daily needs. We trust God as a Father to take care of us. And we're content. Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, let's back up and think about this passage. As I said, the preacher 
Solomon, he didn't know the whole picture from where he stood. We are New Testament believers. We live after the resurrection. As Jane read, we live in in this tent now and we long and we groan to be with Christ. We look at the world and we look at the oppression that is in the world. We look at the injustice that is in the world and it causes us to groan and long to be with Him. To be with Christ. But, the passage says, we don't want to be naked. And by that, I think it means we don't long for a period of being a disembodied spirit. That is not our ultimate hope. Our ultimate hope is the fact that Jesus will one day return and our bodies will come up out of the graves just like His. We will resurrect just as Jesus rose from the dead. We will rise from the dead. The preacher asked the question, who knows whether the spirit of a man goes up and the spirit of a beast goes down? The New Testament answers the question. He has revealed it to us by coming in the form of a man Himself. He came as Jesus Christ. He lived a sinless and perfect life. And He died to pay for the injustice and the wickedness in me and in you. We cry out because of the injustice we see, but we don't want to do it with our finger pointed outward. Because we remember, I'm sinful. And you're sinful. And we're all broken. And we've all broken God's laws. And we all deserve judgment and hell. And Jesus came to take that on Himself. And in the cross, the wrath of God was satisfied. Justice received what it demanded. So that everyone who is forgiven, everyone who will ever place their faith in Jesus, the wrath will not go on them, but it was poured out on Jesus at the cross. If our faith is in Jesus, we don't have to wait on the wrath that would be ours. But He poured it out on Jesus. What is our response to the injustice and the wickedness in the world? The fact is, we are part of that injustice and the wickedness in the world. We've all sinned. We've all... We're thankful for the mercy of God that He delays and He's given us time and He calls out even now to people to turn to Him, to repent. And we trust that God will one day have perfect justice. And the book of Revelation tells us that He will come and while in Ecclesiastes, the preacher says, I see the tears of the oppressed and there was no one to comfort them. Jesus sees those tears. And one day, He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.